So I hear this sound. I'm like terrified out of my sleep. I'm generally a light sleeper, so any kind of noise will like wake me up. And this particular noise was like, wow. I had already been having trouble falling asleep because I was just so stressed at this point. And I wasn't in a space, in my normal space, in my normal apartment. I was in this, this Airbnb apartment that we had rented in Tangier. So not only was I scared out of my sleep, but what they were saying, which I knew what it meant, you know, I'm used to hearing it if someone's praying or, you know, if it's the call to prayer, especially living in Morocco, they do the call to prayer five times a day. This, this was different. It was in the middle of the night. Prayer time had already passed, so it wasn't time for prayer. So I knew something was up, something was going on, something unusual. And I jumped out of bed and I just went to the window because that was where the sound was coming from. I looked out to see men, women, few teenagers, they were standing on their roof. Some of them were holding cell phones and they were just screaming. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> this is episode three, part one. Where the sunsets. So I had a plan. I was like, okay, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to spend a few years teaching English abroad, learn languages. And, you know, I'm going to just, you know, spend some time, I think, getting to know me and, you know, just seeing the world. I had been in college in Philadelphia for four years and I just wanted to, I wanted to change your environment. I wanted to expand my world perspective and all those things. At that point, a lot of my classmates, a lot of friends that I knew who were going to teach abroad in China and also South Korea. And so I was like, okay, yeah, those options are good. I gravitated more towards South Korea because I actually, I felt like the language was easier. I felt like it was maybe a bit more navigatable than China, which at that time to me, China seemed so big and so like vast and a bit, a bit beyond what I was prepared to deal with, especially having never traveled abroad at that time. So I was like, okay, I'm going to South Korea. The salary is good. People have had, you know, positive experiences. And so that was my goal. The problem was that I did not have a background in English, but I was like, cool, fine. I'm going to get some experience. I decided I was gonna volunteer at this organization in Philadelphia that worked with immigrants and refugees. They had a lot of opportunities for people to teach English. And I was like, okay, yeah, I can do the volunteering and I can also start learning Korean because you know that would put me at an advantage if I was gonna go teach in South Korea. So I started volunteering, which I loved, I loved. I worked with adults from all over the world who had come to the U.S. as immigrants, as refugees, and it was just so cool, honestly. And I really enjoyed it. And I was like, yes, this is this is what I want, and I can't wait to like build on this when I go and travel. Unfortunately, I kind of got sidetracked where I graduated. Then I was like, I should get a job, and then I should like you know be an adult, <laughs> like pay my bills, start paying my student loan bills back. And I still was working towards that goal, but it just took me a longer time. 
2018, I was like, all right, I'm ready. You know, this is seven years after my initial plan to go abroad. But I was like, you know, that's fine. I'm just, whatever. I'm a bit, I'm a bit behind, but I'm still on track. At this point, I could read Korean. I could understand some, and I felt like I could really build on my language skills. So I started applying to a program, EPIC program, which is English. Actually, I don't know what it stands for. Anyway, it's called EPIC. So people from English-speaking countries will go to South Korea through this program and teach English. And it's a really good experience. They pay for like your housing and all that. And so I was like, yeah. So I started applying. And so I went through the interview process, which, you know, people say is very strict. I got all my paperwork together. And I was also going through like a program that kind of helps you to prepare your application, basically. So you have the application, you get accepted, and then, you know, they look for schools for you to go to in South Korea. So at this point, I'm waiting to hear back from schools. And then... Like, um, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But it looks like because you wear the hijab, a lot of schools are really not interested in having you teach with them. And part of me knew that this was a possibility. Honestly, I had done a lot of research before and just looking at like, okay, black women in teaching in South Korea, which, you know, if you go to YouTube, you can find a f- quite a few of those. Then I was like, okay, let me look at hijabis in South Korea teaching. And there was like one lady, even her, she was like talking about how difficult it is to find a teaching job there. And I was like, you know what, whatever, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna focus on it. I'm just gonna do me and do the best and make my application the best. So they can't say no, because I have everything. And it just didn't work out that way. At that point, I, yeah, I was I was definitely disappointed. In the back of my head, I was always like, I wanted to go to Malaysia, possibly. I wanted also to go to Turkey. Honestly, China still wasn't like a, a thing that I was like considering. Um, even though I had heard that people had good experience, I was just like, nah. And then I think after the South Korea thing, I was just like, eh, I had a kind of a bad taste. I was like, I don't really want to go to an Asian country. For me, I wanted to be comfortable in the place that I was teaching and working in. At this point, I was also teaching English in the U.S. and I've been meeting different students and teachers and, you know, just trying to get a feel for how their experience was abroad. And just, you know, based on that, just, you know, trying to choose other options that would fit my lifestyle. The problem was that the program that I was going through didn't have a program in Malaysia. They didn't have a program in Turkey. They had programs in Spain and different European countries, but I think the language requirement was a problem for me. Obviously, I didn't speak Spanish, I didn't speak Italian or all those other languages. So I was looking for a program where kind of English was okay to use. I was like, okay, so if I can't go to Turkey or Malaysia, then I'll go to Africa. Like, duh. The problem was they didn't have a lot of options in Africa. They did, though, have a cool program in Senegal. And I was like, that's perfect. But then, as happens with life, the program got shut down before I was able to apply. And so I was like, okay, like what to do now? You know, I was kind of like at a standpoint, like, all right, what do I really want? Like, how am I going to do this? Then the woman that I was working with, one of her colleagues suggested Morocco. So Morocco is not a foreign place to me in terms of like culture and my familiarity with it. Like, You know, I feel like everyone in the world knows a Moroccan. (laughs) Maybe that's just my experience, but I feel like, you know, if you know anything about North African culture, 
If you know anything about maybe even Arab culture, then you've probably heard of Morocco. I knew people from Morocco who had moved to the United States, went to school, had teachers, other students. And I, I think the thing with it was I felt like I knew everything I needed to know about Morocco. I really wasn't like drawn to it initially. And even after the suggestion, I was just like, yeah, okay, well, we'll see what happens. Cut to September 2019. I'm all ready to go. I was going to be teaching in a small city called, well, I say Kanitra, but technically the word, how you say it is Kanitra. That was maybe 30 minutes from Rabat, which is the capital of Morocco. I wasn't like somewhere isolated. So it was still like city. It was still something where I could go to other places and move about quite easily. And it seemed like a cool, cool, solid place. I prepared a bit for it. Like I knew that people in Morocco spoke Darija, which is... Um, it's a dialect of Arabic, which mixes in French and Amazigh, which is like the Berber language, even though Berber is not the correct phrase to use because it's kind of um, a negative word to use. There aren't a lot of resources out there for Darija. So my coworker at the time, she got me a book. Shout out to Jess. That was cool. I started studying that. I started practicing French and, you know, I, I started preparing in that aspect, of course, and just trying to you know, prep everything before moving to another country. The plan was to stay in Morocco for 10 months teaching English, you know, the school year, basically from October till June 2020. And I was like, perfect, that's great. Um, that's a great amount of time to spend in a country for the first time. And I'm sure I'll get to learn the language, practice my Darija and my actual classical Arabic because I was still interested in learning Arabic at that point. I get to practice my French and maybe my Spanish. So I was, I was excited. I think also at this point, personally, I was just like, I needed to see the world. I, I think the word that, the word that I would use to describe how I felt would be open. Like I wasn't super excited. I was just open. I didn't know what I would see. I didn't know what I would experience, but I was just like, whatever happens, I'm open to it. Even on the plane ride, just going over the Atlantic Ocean and like looking out and literally seeing the continent of Africa. Like, I don't know how to describe that feeling, but before I didn't give it much thought, honestly. And when I was flying on the plane and I could see Africa below and I just was like, not to be dramatic, but I was like definitely moved. Honestly, I hadn't really explored my own feelings about Africa. Like, of course I had been interested in it, drawn to it, but the feeling of like belonging, that is just internally there. I, I can't really express it. I, I think of like, you know, when our ancestors were in West Africa and they were taking on the ships and then they were moved to America. Like that's still a feeling of like incompleteness. It's like knowing your mom, but not knowing your dad. And then you finally get to see your dad's family. There's this part of yourself or of your identity out there that maybe you haven't quite explored. And so when I saw us flying over Africa, I was just like, I was literally like, wow. And I knew at that point that I was like going to the right place. We touched out in Casa. It was a Friday, I think. Yeah, it was Friday. And I got there 
the program had arranged someone, a driver, to pick us up to take us to our orientation, which was in Muhammadiyah, which <laughs> honestly, the first time I heard Muhammadiyah, I thought of the rapper Muhammadiyah. <laughs> so I was like, Muhammadiyah, like what? But Muhammadiyah was the place. It's a, maybe like 30 minutes outside of Casa. In Muhammadiyah, we got orientation, learned a little bit about the culture, language, and all that. Got a few language lessons in Darija. And we were all sent off to our respective placements. So as I mentioned before, I was sent to Kanitra, which is about an hour or so from Muhammadiyah and about 30 minutes from Rabat. Get settled in, start teaching in Kanitra in October 2019. Students are great. Everyone's chill, laid back. And I really felt like it was easy. For me, working in the U.S. for so many years, even in places where I loved working and like even with teaching, there's always this hierarchy. And I never felt like that in Morocco. I felt for the first time in my professional experience that I was free to be me. I've never felt that before, to be honest. So it that was freeing in a way that I did not expect. <laughs> El Maghrib is what they call Morocco, and that means the West, but it could also be translated to where the sun sets. After we started teaching, we started learning Darija, we took Darija lessons, and then we started taking Arabic lessons, which was really cool. I also got to travel, which was one of the things that I was really interested in doing other than teaching. And one of the first trips we went to was to Rabat, obviously. So that was October. And then from there, we took a trip in November, me and my roommate, to Marrakesh, which is like, you got to go to Marrakesh. And we literally just took a train from Canetra, and it was like five hours to Marrakesh. And from Marrakesh, we took a tour through the south of Morocco to the Sahara Desert. The mountains are different colors. You have yellow mountains and yellow sand, red mountains and red sand, green mountains and green sands. It was just so diverse. Just just the mountains, just the, the sand and the soil. It was so beautiful. And we went Wow, like nine, 10 hours traveling. We had different stops along the way. We stopped at Orzazart, which is a place where, you know, they shot a lot of the movies like Gladiator and Game of Thrones. And we went through all these little like Southern places, towns. And the closer to the desert we got for me, the browner the people got. That was a moment for me. I was like, wow. I mean, I feel, I feel like we were going to all the typical tourist places, but every time we would go, it would be so amazing. At this point, you're starting to hear things about Wuhan and China. And I remember we were walking, I was walking with a few of the other teachers and one teacher saw one of his friends that he hadn't seen in a while. And the friend had just arrived back from China. And he was like, yeah, you know, it's getting crazy over there. So I had to come back. I think all of us was like, yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, I can understand. It must be crazy over there. I hope they get that together. I hope they figure that thing out, whatever that thing is. February, me and my roommate, we decided to go to Spain. Well, actually it was her idea. She wanted to go to a concert. And I was like, all right, like, I'm not really a concert person, but I'll go with you. I've never been to 
Madrid, which is where we were going. And so, yeah, of course, I'll go. This was around Valentine's Day, February 2020. So we took a flight from Tangier on Saturday night. And we got there Saturday night. We stayed over in a hotel in Madrid. Sunday, we went to the concert, went around Madrid. You know, there were crowds of people, but it was so crowded that like we were bumping shoulders with people and like trying to like squeeze past people. I just remember the, the crowdedness and the crowdedness at the center square. And when we went to go see the, the Royal Palace, just the amount of people that were there taking pictures and moving about and breathing each other's air. This was like right before the stuff hit the fan, especially in Spain. And we were there and had no idea what was about to come. This has been For Colorful Girls. I'm Ariane, a storyteller. Our goal for this podcast is to release a new episode every two weeks. For this episode though, episode three, we've decided to do something a little different. This week we've released part one and next week we hope to release part two, so stay tuned. Music by Audio Binger, Bruce Miller, and M. Dukal El Hussein. Sound effects from freesound.org. You can find the details for the music that we use, as well as the sound effects and transcripts for each episode at fourcolorfulgirls.com. And feel free to leave us a comment there or on our Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter pages. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs>